Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are doing great. <laughs> oh, man, where do I start with this week's guest? Uh, Mitra Manesh. So, you know, most of the guests that I bring on, usually I, you know, it's, it's a powerful mirror where I'm sitting there and, you know, like it's someone says something and then it sparks something in me and then I say something back. And it's an exchange that goes back and forth as we're dancing and riffing about purpose, life, fulfillment, and everything in between. But when Mitra started speaking, I didn't want to talk. Uh, I just wanted to listen and I wanted to hold space and I wanted to ask questions because she is just such an incredibly profound human being. So to give you some background, Mitra is a professor of mindfulness at UCLA with over three and a half decades of experience in this area. So that's 35 years. She's a private practice where she works with celebrity clients as well as multinational corporations, including Merrill Lynch, Hugo Boss, Amazon, and more on just teaching mindfulness. And her North Star is making conscious living and working more available and accessible to the global community. So you know, she uh, she was born in the East and trained in the West. You know, Mitra's approach blends corporate training with Eastern inner work practices to help people live, love, and lead more consciously at home and at work. She's been meditating since 1985, so let's just start there. You know, Mitra's episode was really powerful for me because one of the things I've been really dancing with in my own life is trying to find more joy in the in-between. You know, we spend so much of our time starting new projects or we focus so much of our energy thinking about finishing things out and closing out to-do lists that we forget to appreciate the magic in between, right? And the in-between is where there's all the juice, there's all the love, there's all the expansion, there's all the the deliciousness of life. And, um, you know, one of the things that Mitra really had me think a lot about was the idea of life and death. And how life and death is happening in every moment, whether it's happening in your own life with the end of a cycle or end of a business or end of a relationship, or it's happening in someone else's life that you just may not be aware of. To me, life and death is the only constant. And when we can begin to understand that life and death is already happening, we don't have to focus so much on it. We can learn to live in the in-between and we can learn to appreciate what is. We can learn to find the balance and harmony in our day-to-day existence. And just I just really appreciated that reminder. And I encourage all of you to listen to this episode, one, with a pen in hand and, and paper, but really let it sink in. Bathe yourself in Mitra's wisdom. Allow her insights to connect with you on a deeper level so that you can feel empowered, inspired, and excited about how you're going to live your life in a more mindful way. She also has a a really cool app, actually. It's called InnerMap, which is a mindfulness storytelling and coaching app, uh, which is for anyone, anywhere, at any level. And 
I'm playing inside of it right now and it's pretty, pretty sweet. So I'd highly recommend checking that out too. But yeah, guys, I mean, this is what the podcast is about. It's about having not just people that, I mean, I, I love using the podcast as a vehicle to learn. This has been the most profound learning tool of my life. And just having Mitra on was such a gift and I'm so grateful. And I know you guys are going to love her too. So enjoy the episode. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the podcast apps that you use to tune in. Leave us a review, especially if you've been jamming onto the podcast for a while. You know, we've been been getting thousands of people downloading the episodes every single week and not everybody leaves reviews. So if you're enjoying the show and it's been a meaningful part of your week for a while now, leave leave us a review. Let me know what you think and just be part of the conversation. But anyways, guys, sending you all tons of hugs and love and healing vibes during these crazy times. But uh, without further ado, here is the amazing Mitra Manesh. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you are all finding love, joy, peace, serenity. These chaotic times. I am so, so, so excited to have you here, Mitra. Welcome. Thank you. I said this before we we got started, but uh, there's this beautiful, calming sense of presence that I just feel off of you. And even if I'm not in person with you, I feel your soul from a mile away. And I wanted to maybe start with what is your definition of the soul? Mm, Great question. That's the energy that animates this physical dish called body. So the difference between me and, say, the corp of me is that soul, right? If I died right this moment, and I'm quite okay with dying, not that I do want to die, but it's fine, you will still see this body, right? But the only difference is that that energy that activates and animates and allow this beautiful, playful activity that we call life to take place. So it's the energy that activates the physicality. That's the short answer. Mm. What's the long answer? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have time? (laughs) I've done six-week course on this. Well, the long answer is that that's the energy that we all share. That's the unity that we have come from. And imagine that if it was air, and you have a lot of air and you just put it in different bottles and allow these bottles to go and have their own experiences. The idea was for us to have these souls in these separated bodies. So we come from unity. You see, when, when a baby is born, she knows that she's connected, not knowingly, but, but just naturally, not, not you know, intentionally, but naturally she knows she's connected. So the the soul that is in that baby is a very connected soul. Then of course we learn and we become separated. The idea is this energy, this in Persian, we call it dam, which is a beautiful, I can't even translate it, means this moment breath Mm. has both meaning together. Dam means right now this breath is what really represents the soul that in it is in us so soul is that common thing that we have together soul is that energy which when we remember interesting word huh we yeah, remember 
we were members of the same place, and now we need to remember that we came from oneness. Mm. It's like you're coming home. Exactly. So the practice of mindfulness, is it simply a practice of returning home then? Mm. Oh, wow. It's a practice that allows you to return home because, I mean, mindfulness is uh, defined in many different ways. And I use my own, which includes five different elements of, of mindfulness. So to me, mindfulness is being aware and accepting of our present moment experience with curiosity and compassion. So let me just unfold a little bit these five words. One was awareness. Well, without awareness, we know not much happens. The opposite of awareness is being on autopilot. You know, when sometimes you drive somewhere and you have no idea how you got there, well, that's opposite of awareness. Or sometimes I work with, I have a private practice when I coach, you know, couples, families, and workplaces. Sometimes I see them in conflict and I make a comment and I say, Do you see you did that? I say, No, I didn't do that. Very interesting. So there's no, awareness of what we're doing. The second element was presence. And you told me that I have this sense of presence. Well, is there any other place? Hmm. I don't know. (laughs) Do we have anything else? Uh, I mean, that's the illusion. And that's the upcoming illusion. So I don't know if there's any other time to be in. I call it past and present. I mean, we can go there with visitors visa because there's a, you know, it's not like we don't want to completely ignore it. But in the present moment, going to the past is very different than just going there without knowing. And before I know it, you're talking and I'm just like in 20 years ago. Yeah. So you do go to the past to learn, not lament, different L. You go to the future to basically plan, gently plan and come back. To this moment. It's not for worrying, it's for wondering. Like I was mm. wondering what this experience, different W again. I love that the W's and the L, like you're it's it's the contrast, the duality that's so mm. beautiful, right? Mm. It's the choice of words. It's being even being aware of the choice of words can bring you back into the present moment. Mm-hmm. So sorry, I want to continue. Please, I just wanted to make that observation. So it's awareness, presence, acceptance, curiosity, compassion. So awareness we talked about, presence we talked about, there is no other time. But the third one is acceptance. And this acceptance is hard, especially in Western cultures, because we go to the legal aspect of it. I I was a human rights commissioner, so I'm very aware of the legality of this acceptance. Do I need to sign it? No, acceptance means really factual. Acceptance is, it is the time it is right now, and it is the day it is right now, right? So maybe I want it to be a weekend at like two o'clock in the afternoon, but it's not. So acceptance means really accepting the facts, because I always say presence may not be pleasant. I'm very present, and I have pain either emotionally or physically. I need to accept that, and it's not an activity or passiveness. Accept the fact so that I can move forward with a sense of knowingness and, and awareness. So that's the acceptance. The fourth one was curiosity. And to me, curiosity is the opposite of judgment. So we had not met before. This is our first time. So with curiosity, I sat there when I was meditating just before you know we connected, was like, I wonder, that's an interesting name. Raj means prince. Like, you know, I wonder, like, you know, I go to a curiosity place. So what is the opposite of that? That I have 
judgment. Judgment says, I know, and my knowing is better than yours, by the way. Mm. Curiosity says, I don't know or fully know, and please do tell. Tell me more. So when you go to curiosity, it's hard to be judgmental. And the last one, which I really see as part of the meaning of mindfulness, but I see this necessity, it is the compassion. Because everything I described, it could describe a very, very good criminal mind. Very good criminal mind. They're aware. They're very, have you seen these action movies when they're yeah. like opening the safe and they've got like one second? Yeah, they're like, like they're, they're dialed in. Exactly. Like business. <laughs> they're aware. They're very present. They're extremely curious. They're just like a baby. Every sound, every, you know, they're, they're curious to see because they're, they're on the watch. And also they're very present. So, okay, so they're very mindful people. It's the compassion that seals the deal. And compassion means being kind generally and being kind at times of difficulties for oneself and for the world. I feel like most people don't want to practice mindfulness because by practicing mindfulness, they're now aware of the responsibility to accept the responsibility to be present and not in the future and not in the past. The responsibility to, now that you know kindness is such a powerful tool, the responsibility to be kind when you don't feel like being kind. So to the mind that is seeking mindfulness, that's one thing. But to the ones that aren't seeking it and they're afraid of being mindful for whatever reason, the fear of being mindful of this present moment, and the implications of the emotions and the, the, the consequences of not, of, of, of realizing something or that you were doing something wrong all this time and you wasted all this time. Like, how do you bring mindfulness to that spirit? Very good question. And you know, I've been taking mindfulness secretly to workplaces and corporate worlds in North America for decades. And I never called it mindfulness. You think, you know, 25 years ago when I went to, and I want to name my clients. You can read it on my resume. I, I said, here, sit here. I want to teach you mindfulness. They would say, are you out of your mind? Bottom line, bottom line. So I talked bottom line. And I said, do you want more productivity? Do you want a happier workplace? And they all said yes to that. So I would say I would meet every person that is listening to you where they are. So I asked them to ask themselves, what is really important to me? One might say my work, one might say my family, my lover. It could be so many, my community, my religion, whatever it is. Just ask yourself and pick one of these five elements of mindfulness. Just one, not all of them. We don't want to start like, you know, heavy. Awareness, acceptance, presence, whichever. Curiosity. Curiosity is the most playful one, which I love. So curiosity, just get curious when you meet somebody a simple, very simple tweak that we do in life. I always, when I coach my clients, I say, could you please learn to ask instead of tell? Very simple. Whether you're talking to your children or your spouse or your staff or your boss. So say you were late. So I could go to a place and say, so why do you, you know, which is brings conflict. Or I could just simply ask, Raj, anything happened? Mm. And that's just... It stops everything, a lot of conflicts that we may have. So curiosity, one item, pick one item and see if you can try it. I always say, try it for size. You can always return it. Money back, any of those five. 
full money back. As you're as you're speaking, I'm really curious about your perspectives on the role of the ego mm. and how protective the ego. I mean, my ego has been so protective in my life. As of recently, I've been going through a lot of very significant life transitions, relationship ending, just kind of starting new things and other businesses closing down and really kind of unfolding in many ways. And I've felt sort of an identity death in ways. And it was really hard for me to get to this point where I could even accept and allow or the allow the opportunity to be curious, uh, allow the opportunity to be compassionate more to myself, even practice self-love. And so I'm curious, you know, why, why does the ego behave the way that it does? And why does the ego, like, what is, I guess, what is your perception of the ego and how can the ego be a tool on this journey as opposed to something that, that holds us back? Great question. So first of all, we live in a world and a realm of duality. This is very important to understand. So we may have come from unity and the news is we have, but this is the realm of duality. The reason we arrived here was that we can use our free will to make decisions and hopefully go back to oneness through our choice, not by natural sort of instinct. Does that make sense? So your dog, if you have a dog or a baby is naturally connected, but not knowingly. Yeah. Right. So you and I need to go through this. So if, if life was a cycle and it is, you start the beginning of this cycle and you arrive not knowing, but connected. And then you live whole full life. And this is the point that meets the point that you came from in leaving this physicality. Hopefully you leave knowingly connected. That would be a complete journey. Mm. Okay. So what happens between this point and this point in this cycle is that many choices are presented to us and we needed to have a representative of these physical choices and we called it ego. So ego is the ambassador of physical life. You started your conversation with soul. So there is the soul, there is the physical life. So it's the energy and then there's this physicality called me. Ego is the representative of this physicality things that I want. And, and it has a bad rap. I mean, everybody says like, it's a bad yeah. thing. Get rid of you. You don't want to get rid of anything. This intelligent universe never, ever gave us things that we needed to get rid of. We yeah. need to learn to work with them differently. My ego tells me so much. My ego, when it gets fed and overfed, you know, I usually say, my, my students know when they go around and say, oh, Mitra, your class was and I, it's so wonderful and it changed my life. And I sit there and I say, well, whoa, my ego is so happy. <laughs> She's so happy. But, but when I put her aside, I said, but you know what? My soul is also happy. So I'm very aware of both of them. Don't want to get rid of anything because then that becomes the war. It's like, I just don't want to have overfed ego. So I see things physically, if, sorry, if, if ego was represented by the head, let's just imagine that because that's another class, but so by the head and, and say the heart was represented, it was representing the soul. Imagine out of proportion. So I have a head like this and I have a heart like this. Mm. It looks odd. You want to have proportion here. I have a million questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> Million questions. Very curious student right now. 
So you said that the, the ego is in somewhat the identity, right? The physical expression of you in this lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in a perfect world, that is all you should be. The most authentic expression of you is the biggest gift you can give the world, right? Mm -hmm. How do you differentiate between authentic ego and ego that isn't necessarily in alignment with, with mm -hmm. your soul? Because I, mm -hmm. I, I think that I've been really practicing trying to, like, I feel like there's a lot of things I learned growing up mm -hmm. from teachers, from parents, from society, from religion, from school, from friends, from all of my own life's experiences that have allowed my own identity, my ego to form. But I've also found that the more I let go of things that aren't in alignment with who I truly am, whether it's who I, what I value or what I believe in or the things that I care about, I change who I am. And it's almost like I have to release a version of Raj in order for the truer Raj to show up. So how do you distinguish between ego or things that fill your ego that weren't necessarily yours mm -hmm. to begin with and things and, and an authentic expression of your ego that mm -hmm. is actually out there, lights up a room and changes the world when it's acted upon? Mm. Great question. You have good questions. I love them. So <laughs> we could talk forever. Sure, yeah, we could have, have a really long conversation. <laughs> we can. And I love it. So there is the ego. So the question is, where is ego getting its information, its food from, right? Yeah. The distinction that you made between the ego and authentic ego. So the, the ego, which is alone, it actually does not include the soul and it does not include any connection. It is me, a separated entity, and that's it, period. There's no comma. But the authentic, what you called ego, or I call, science calls it integrated or united or realized, whatever you want to call that, there's many names, is the ego that has soul, its own soul, if you can call that yours, your own soul included, plus the world. Mm. So the ego is that, that includes everybody and its own soul. It's an authentic ego. So we're physical being. We can, I mean, as you can see, you and I don't, at least I don't, I don't live in the mountains and because my teachers were monks and, and, and gurus that's like, you know, they didn't have normal lives. My, always my question to them was, can you bring that to the city? Can yeah. I go through this life? Because it's great when you have no children, no mortgage, no responsibility, no appointments to make and stay there. It's like we do that. I go, I was in six months of silence in my one state of life. So that was great. But then I came to this world. So this physicality needs attention. This physicality and, and what you called or, or the representative of it, the ego needs attention and we give it enough. Here it is. Here's your food. We don't want to say go hungry or we want to kill you or just get rid of you. We just don't want to overfeed it. I know when my ego is hungry and, and I give it something. That's fine. You know, I, I, you know, put my makeup on and put my hair up and, and I want to look good and I want people to say good things. And that's fine. No problem. As long as that's not the only reason I'm here. As long as I'm not prepared to pay any price to do this. I work with a lot of celebrities. My office is in Beverly Hills, California. So I, I see celebrities from time to time. And 
you would think I sometimes look at them and I feel like I wish this was not confidential. I wish I could take this information to my young students at UCLA that their ideal life and, and career is being you. And then you see the suffering. So if ego was the only thing, you would think these people who I have to go at 6 a.m., otherwise people will recognize them and they can't come in. To see them, you would think they would be all happy, right? Ego, you go, imagine anywhere you went, they said, oh, Mr. Raj, you know, and they get that. Everybody wants to be them. Everybody imitates what they wear and whatever they do. But I don't see happiness. You know, most of the money I make in the year, which I usually actually contribute to a cause that I believe in, is the night of the globe, the night of the Oscar, because they freak out. And I usually do house calls. I go there because they're freaking out of success, <laughs> of being on stage that they did anything and everything sometimes to be there. And yet when they're there, they're freaking out. If what the ego seeks, those highs, if you would, those, those like it's like a, it's delicious. I mean, when mm-hmm. the ego's happy, it's delicious. I remember the first time I went on stage and I had my first big talk and everybody came after me and like, oh, thank you so much. And it was just, I, I felt alive, so yeah. alive, more alive than I ever have. But that, that didn't last forever. So what is the foundation and the source for everlasting joy? Mm. Balance, the inner, the outer, the feminine, the masculine, the physicality, the soul, balance. We've come to reconcile. I mean, you come from the culture that this is done. You know what this is to me? This is the left and the right meeting, you see, completely equal in the middle. They've come to do this. They have come to use our choice through balance, arrive back at unity, going home, as you called it. Mm, The duality is so... It seems like the one fundamental truth in everything, that there are two sides. Why do you think human beings are so afraid of death, which is the duality, the the other side? It's like the most prevalent, common, and the only thing that's actually going to happen (laughs) that's guaranteed in this lifetime is that we are born in a physical body and then our physical body is gone. Why do we run from the duality that seems so obvious to embrace? Because we have collectively forgotten the story of us. Remember we said, remember, we forgot that there is no death and now science backs it up. I mean, all these things I teach, everybody thought was like a little bit different. Now I teach the School of Neuroscience at UCLA because science has shown that that energy, but basically energy can't die. It can change its form. Exactly. It can change. Like this energy can become something else, but it will never, ever die. So the soul that actually is the reason I'm alive, because otherwise you, if I'm dead, you just have the body and there is no life there. So that can never, ever die. But when we get too into our physical life and we believe the story that we are our physical life, then we're afraid to lose the one thing that we have. This is the only thing I have. Whereas when, and you heard me say that I, I am welcoming death in a beautiful way. It usually people say that when they want to, whether they're really having a bad time here in this life. I actually, because I have a good life, 
I think when I die, imagine if this is the like the small version of it, imagine what's that like. And that's really the story of it, that we are so afraid of death because this is the only thing I have. And if you take it away, I have nothing. We have forgotten. We need to remember that we are member of eternal community that is awaiting and welcoming us. So a lot of things that you see, a lot of behavior that we have, we have a relationship that we cannot end. And we know, we've known it for so long that it needs to, you know, it needs to end. We have parties. I mean, let's just, I mean, people cannot say goodbye properly because we experience end of anything as death. And that's the one thing that we are never talking about and we are so afraid of. It's the it's the unspoken secret fear that we all have. We just basically are afraid of dying because we think this is it. There is no more. And so we don't want to lose it. One of the most powerful sort of journeys that I've been on in the last few months is learning to find certainty in the middle. Instead of the beginning, instead of the end, just in the middle. And I don't know why that's so scary. The idea that, because you're right, like anytime, actually, okay, let me ask you this, because this is, I'm personally curious now. What about people that need like finite completion or a definite start date or certainty in the end spectrums of life? Forget life and death, but just the end spectrums. Mm -hmm. Like, how do they find more joy in the middle? It's hard to find joy when you want everything to be dead. Because when you say finite, that's a fancy word for dead, meaning determined already. Didn't you start your interview saying, let's just flow together? Absolutely. Yes. If yes. I had typed the questions and sent it to you, you would say, uh, I'm not sure. So these finites or bookends that you put there for life, there's a beautiful story. I, I, I have an app that is story-based and there's a beautiful story about my client and I that she was sick and, and um, she was at the hospital here and I was going to you know visit her and teach her mindfulness and, and just calm her down. One day she asked me that would I be in the room when they unplug her. I didn't know what she knew, but a few weeks later it happened. So I'm in the room there is the you know medical professionals and her husband and I am sitting next to her with my meditation cushion and holding the space. And I'm looking at the, all her vitals going up and down, going up and down, going up and down. And then when they unplug her, it goes one line, straight line. And I got something so beautiful and valuable from this experience. It was her gift, I think, of saying thank you. I looked at it, I thought, oh my God. And I made that noise, which was very inappropriate. And they, everybody looked at me in the room. I said, I got it. We want to be alive, but look like we're dead. Because this is death. If it's determined and I know exactly what it is, a straight line, that is not called life. When she was alive, there were crooked lines, out of shape lines, long lines, small lines. This was life. This was like the graph was this, and yet we want it to be like this. So you cannot have a predetermined life and call it life. It's 
opposite of life. Life, we have come to the realm of duality so that we can make choices, so that we can change the endings. That was the story. Otherwise, we were happy being together over there. Does that make sense? Uh, that is hitting. That is that is landing in a very interesting way in my body right now. I felt a very tingly sensation. And as you're speaking this, it's actually helping me realize that even if loved ones pass, even when ideas die, even when relationships go away, even when there is a finite sort of end, it doesn't mean that it's gone. <laughs> the The energy just transforms and you can always think about a lost loved one and, and channel their energy into a creation, whether it's art or a podcast or a business. I know so many people that start life-changing businesses because they experienced somebody you know, dying or a relationship ending. I've seen so many people find their calling to go and give back and serve the community because of significant ending. And so it's beautiful when you understand that in order for life to be born, death has to exist. But the middle, the middle is the most juicy part. <laughs> the middle is the deliciousness that's, that's, that's worth being mindful of and worth being present inside and aware of and practicing compassion and acceptance and just being grateful. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like gratitude, I would love your take on gratitude in particular and the role it plays in all of this, because appreciation for me has been over the past several years, the thing that allows me to be okay being in the middle. So like, what role does appreciation, does it fit inside of the framework of mindfulness? Or is it something that's sort of added on as a practice to further your life's richness? Yeah, these are beautiful side effects of mindfulness. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> but <laughs> you've seen the ads for medications on TV. There's this person really happy. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then somebody's fast saying, and it may you have suicidal thoughts and you may kill other people and you may die. And you go, whoa, whoa, what happened? <laughs> and only in, of course, United States of America, we have advertisement for prescription drugs where we tell our doctors not the doctors that have gone for 26 years of studying. We tell them what we want, but I just had to get that out of my system. <laughs> Let's talk about appreciation. Gratitude and appreciation is a fundamental tool for us to allow our overactivated mind to settle down. And I tell you why. When mind, mind first of all, the thinking mind is for survival. This is a very important part of the story. If I didn't have that, I couldn't cross this street safely because it needs to separate me and say, you are Mitra and this is the street and that's Raj and that's the other person. So make sure you are safe in relations to them. So that's the work of the thinking mind. So it needs to ask the question. So imagine you're with me and I say like, you're my guard. So immediately you've seen these bodyguards when they, you know, go with famous people, they're yeah. always on the, on the look, you know, if you go like this, they look at you and they say, why did you do that? Like, they're always looking, here's the question, what is wrong is the question of a thinking, surviving mind. Now, let me take you to gratitude. Gratitude is the question of what is right. You want balance? 
here's the balance because my overactivated mind is always asking me what is wrong. What is wrong with me? What is wrong with you? What's wrong with the world and people in the world? So these three questions of what is wrong with me, what's wrong with the world and people in the world constantly is the question that the mind has. Exhausting. It is. And, and that's why we're exhausted. That's, what, that's why we can't sleep. So the opposite of that, what is right? So you, you balance this by asking and taking your attention to what is right. So you want that balance, that middle that you talked about? That's how you balance it because this is overactivated and gratitude and what is right. So if I have pain in my body, you say, how are you, Mitra? What do I say? Oh, I have a bad headache, right? Well, headache, head is one part of many, many parts of my body. I never tell you I have beautiful hands and my feet are so rested and soft and like my lips are so neutral and my ears are, I never report on that. What do I say? How are you? Oh, tired. Oh, okay. How are you? Oh, my back like really hurts. So what about the other parts of your body? And this is not ignorance. This is not that I'm not going to take action. Again, it's that acceptance and that balance that allows me to take informed action, actually, that I'm very aware of my headache, but I'm also aware of all the other rest of the body that is working by bringing gratitude to it. So I'm dividing my attention to what's going on. Otherwise, this very, very loud child that we have living here, rent-free, is going to take all of our attention. Ooh. Wow. I love the analogy of the body and the body parts because that's such a simple and visceral way to make a point because pain is something that people feel in their body. But I think most people are very disconnected from the other emotions in their body. Why do you think that is? And for those who are disconnected from some of the other emotions, whether it's a difficulty to feel gratitude or even a difficulty to feel love, receive love. Maybe it's a difficulty to be joyful. Why do you think there's a disconnect? And two, how can anyone listening really start the journey to sort of feeling into all of the other amazingness, the, the duality, if you would, of the spectrum of, of life's emotions and gifts in our body? I'm going to answer the first part of the question. Why do I think that is? Because at one time, one time, probably long time ago, that's how I protected myself. As a child, as a young person, as a person of no power or no known power, I decided that this feeling is too much for me to feel. So I closed that door and I became disembodied. And this is very important there are, I always say we have three children. One is the mind. Second one is the body. And the third one is the soul. The mind is the loudest child. The body is the neediest child. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm cold. I'm hot. I want to rest. And the most ignored child is our soul. The idea is to use the body to connect the soul to the mind. But when I'm disembodied, then you will see that everything I'm doing is out of proportion. I either overeat or undereat. I overexercise, which is very, very common, at least where I live in Los Angeles, California. And they think this is good, overactivation of the body. 
or I do not have any movement in my body. So I have learned to protect myself by disembodying. And I want to just give a very simple, I'm, I'm into simple things, simple suggestion and invitation to your listeners that if they could just every hour, I, I have a mindful bell on my phone. So it rings at the top of the hour, like old fashioned, you know, parks, <laughs> yeah. like ding, ding. I love it. UCLA still has one big one. So let it go off. And when it does, just check your body wherever you are right now. Like, let's do it together, Raj. Just feel your thighs on the chair that you're sitting in your back, all the points of connection. If your hands are on your lap, just notice that warmth and that connection. And you may start from one end and come to the other end, like start from feet. And as you're doing that, just notice if there is a little bit of appreciation for that part of your body. So thank you, feet, that you hold my weight all day. Thank you, thighs. Thank you, my back. Thank you, my neck for holding my head on top of my body. Thank you, eyes for seeing. Thank you, nose for smelling. Thank you, mouth for tasting. Thank you, throat for allowing me to communicate with the world. Thank you, heart for beating and allowing me to feel. Thank you, hands for getting things done. With 30 seconds, just do that. If appreciation is not there, don't force it because this is not something we can will. Just connect with the body. But if it is available, you can go to appreciation. You can go to even further than that. You can go to full gratitude. I'm so grateful. So appreciation and acknowledgement are the earlier stages of gratitude. Can you go there? Just that. 30 seconds every hour, every four hours. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How about that? That's why people pray before eating. It's the moment, opportunity of connection. You're like delightful. You are just, I appreciate the distinction of the, the mind, the body, and the soul and calling them the children that they are. I think that's when you discover something that lights your soul up. Mm-hmm. You feel like this this sense of like your heart is just so happy because you're finally getting the attention the ignore child is finally getting the attention and simply using the body as a tool or even becoming aware of your body and it's just fascinating that this isn't taught more like you know it seems so simple seems so simple to simply be aware of your feet and thank it for carrying weight all day and, you know, once you become aware of the fact that you can appreciate your feet, now you're like, well, what about my finger? You know, what about my, what about my elbow? Like, exactly. what about, you know, what about this? And then you, you start to, it's like the entry point. It's the gateway drug, if you will, yes. to this world of possibility. And I feel immensely grateful right now, just for the awareness that you've gifted me. How can one continue furthering the practice of awareness beyond the body itself? Is appreciation and active appreciation the only tool? Or are there more tools for sort of increasing awareness of what is? There are so many tools, uh, and and I'm glad you called them tools because they are tools. There are so many of them. Gratitude is the fastest one because it allows that balance. But also presence, but presence is such a difficult mm. thing to access. 
So one practice that I have that helps, and by the way, I forgot to say the parent of those three children is the aware self, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> I forgot to determine the parent. We have three children with no parents around. <laughs> <laughs> we just let them, and sometimes, aha, uh-huh, that's the beauty of it. That's exactly how we lead our life when it's an autopilot life. Oh we my God. Three children running around. It's just imagine underage kids and yeah. there are no parents. So of course they cut themselves and they hurt each other and they fight all the time and they don't know what to do. That's exactly what's going on. But when we have a parent, which is the aware self, by the way, then we say, okay, thank you. Thank you. I heard you, Raj. Now your turn. Now tell me about you body. And what about the soul? Can soul come into? Can we just listen to this third child that we have completely ignored and never consulted with and never attended to? So that's what happens. But let's talk about the presence because we talked about, you know, the tools. When I'm looking at you right now, and I am looking at you with my two eyes, and I know people, everybody knows about the third eye. And let's talk about what that third eye is. And it's not just a, something you do when you're doing yoga. It's something that you can live with actually every day. So close your eyes and see if you can look at me from not just two of your eyes, but the f- eyes within. So it becomes your eyes actually become a window. Imagine that you're looking at me through. But the eye that you're seeing is, is like between your two eyes, right in front of whatever they say, third eye. So now open your eyes and look at me and see if you can see me differently. I can. So now you've got awareness and presence, the same place. This is the most amazing tool. I think presence as, a, as an idea and a concept gets mystified. And you know, most people think, presence relates to the present moment, which it does. But I know just the way you described presence has a much broader context to it. So can you describe what presence is? So presence, I always have simplified version of everything because of my dyslexia. Presence is where my body and my attention meet each other. Mm. That's presence. (laughs) It's very elementary, but I understand things only in elementary sense. So here's the difference between presence and lack of presence. So my body is here. Okay. But if my attention is, I'm thinking, well, what would I do after this? Like I have a meeting at one o'clock. And so that's future, which is fine if I'm doing it with awareness, but let's say I'm not doing it with awareness. So you're speaking and asking me a question. I'm just planning my one o'clock meeting or so my attention is in the future. My body is here right? Or my attention is in the past. I'm thinking yesterday, I shouldn't have said that. Or I said that, I hope I could say it again. And my body is here. So my attention and my body are not at the same place. But when I am here, another, my body is here, my attention is here. And it's not 100%. I don't want people to go for perfection. If you are 60% present, 30% present, you're doing really well. So don't go for perfection. If my attention can be as present as possible right here, and you know when we experience it? When we're in love. Mm. Like we, the world can be on fire and we're just, you know, listening to each other. Why? Because we're so interested to know, because our soul is activated. It is remembering oneness. It's remembering 
So we're fully present. Now, either we go from soul to presence or from presence to soul. Ah, that's it. There it is. (laughs) There it is. So you're either using present moment awareness to bring you back into that connected state of oneness Mm -hmm. or you're activating and accessing that connected state of oneness through the breath, through whatever you use to get there. And that evokes a sense of presence. And it doesn't matter how you get there. It, it, it does it matter, actually? I asked that question of my teacher one day because there were a lot of upheaval about religious news on that day. I was driving him to the airport. He had come to visit. I asked him, I said, Vivekananda, why people, what is the right way to so-called salvation, God, oneness, whatever? And why people fight so much? And he said, is there any other way to get to the airport? I thought, I said, yes. He said, why didn't you take that road? I said, because it didn't make sense for us to go from like airport road. We're closer to this freeway. He said, okay. And are there people coming from other roads? I said, yes, I'm sure. He said, why? I said, because their home is that way. So we are all going from different directions to the same place and fighting over whose path is better. Who cares if you get to the airport? (laughs) It doesn't matter. We're all going to the same place. Now you go from there because this was the background, background, physical background that you came from. Sure. It's like race. It's the same thing. I, I, the podcast about race. We don't understand that just because your ancestors physically settled somewhere else and you look like this and you behave like this and you eat that food and you call God that name, okay, beautiful diversity. You know, my, my hands don't fight with my eyes and say, you look different than me, so I won't cooperate with you. They say, sure, you do this and I do that. In fact, diversity is the good thing they have. So it doesn't matter how you get there, Raj. It doesn't matter. The question is, can you get closer to that oneness that we have come from knowingly and using your free will? I cannot wait for the next time I'm in LA so I can give you a huge hug. <laughs> you are. And I'll be happy to receive it and give it back. <laughs> I am uh, so grateful, uh, Mitra, for the time and just for such a beautiful conversation. I, I want you to share about your app. Because I, I think it's, I just, I love how, one of the things I just appreciate most about you is how simple you make living. Mm-hmm. The act of, of, the artful act of living and, and, and how, how simple it is. It really is simple. It's nothing we have to learn. It's just something we have to return to. And you so eloquently teach that. And uh, so I would love for anyone listening to learn more about the app and just, and I just hear more about how storytelling is a part of this journey for you. Mm, thank you for asking. Uh, the app is the another baby I have, which is the fruit of 35 years of teaching, coaching, practicing, failing mindfulness. And uh, I learned that my students learn a lot through stories. So I created a mindfulness storytelling and coaching app. It's not a meditation app because meditation app is different than that. Meditation is just one tool for mindfulness, but really learning everyday life. How do I 
stay mindful when I'm really late and I'm on the freeway? How do I stay mindful when my partner, my family member is really opposite of, is thinking opposite of what I'm thinking? So these are real life stories. And the app is called Inner Map, one word, Inner Map. And I really invite everybody to go and check it out, innermap.me. But the, what, the way I want it to be is that I teach through stories. What I realized is that I'm not the only person who has these stories. My students tell stories that like I really put it in my, you know, treasure box. So we opened the app to the world, to global, you know, community of storytellers so that they can tell their short, mindful stories. So please, please, if you or you, someone you know has a story of any of these ingredients of, of mindfulness, compassion, connectivity, acceptance, please go to innermap.me forward slash your stories and, and see if your story fits to our criteria so that we can put it in our app. My vision is to have this platform, InnerMap, as a place for all the mindful stories where you and I can connect to when you fall out of love, when you fall in love, when you lose your job and you lose your loved one, you, there's somebody that has the same story. And then we may remember that we are all the same, as different as you and I look, as different as our gender may be, as different our experiences and age may be, we do share something in common, that we are all human beings. Gosh, everybody, uh, uh, we'll have all those show notes, all those links available in the show notes, and I am excited to check it out myself and play inside of it. And I have one last question for you. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you're going and everywhere you are, how do you stay grounded? Ah, <laughs> very good question. Didn't see that I, one coming, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, very unusual question for, uh, you know. A podcast, podcast called <laughs> Stay Grounded. <laughs> Do you want a very simple answer? I literally always remember my feet on the ground. I sometimes stand up or sometimes sit down. So that's the literal question, uh, answer, mm. that I stay grounded. But the, but the other one is, that I am present in the moment and it's so easy. Not all the time. I don't want to claim things that are not achievable for other people. Most of the time I'm present. I take care of my 88-year-old mother. I have an app. I have a full-blown practice of mindfulness-based coaching. I teach UCLA classes. I have two kids. I am in a relationship, attend to my partner, and I have a bigger family, you know, where I come from, close to yours. We've got like extended family. And of course, I have my students. And our team is very large. We have about 14 people for InnerMap, so we need to manage it. But I have most beautiful souls that are working with me, and it's easy to stay grounded. I love whatever I do or accept the things that I have to do but don't love to do them. And that's easy to stay grounded with. It is the rejection. It is the conflict that doesn't allow me to be grounded. I hate doing this. People tell me all the time. I hate. And I say, what do you love? I say, no, but I hate. I say, I got it. What do you love doing? Go to the love. And then from there, come back and do the things that you don't like to do. Beautiful. So beautiful. Guys, everyone listening, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Mitra. And from us, stay grounded. We'll see you soon. 
Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.